When I first saw that, I loved it. I love the excitement and all the joy that goes with good news. The word good news is the word gospel. The word gospel means good news. I love what William Tyndale, uh, an English translator pioneer from 1525, he said this when translating the Greek word gospel. He said the Greek word behind the word gospel signifies a good merry, glad, and joyful news that makes a person's heart glad and makes them sing and dance and leap for joy. Well, that sounds kind of... Oh my gosh, no! Good news! Good news! That God took pity on us. Good news, good news that the second person of the Trinity entered into humanity through the womb of the Virgin Mary. Good news, good news. He lived the life that we could not live. Good news, good news. He died the death that we were meant to die. And he bore the wrath of God for us. Good news, good news. If you will but turn from your sin unrighteousness, and your self, self-righteousness, and embrace Him with your heart and life, you will discover God's righteousness in your life. Good news, there is forgiveness. Good news, there is grace. Good news, there can be peace with God. Good news, there is mercy for our shortcomings. Good news. It is what the Bible is all about. It is what we preach. And it must be that which we share with others. Why? Because how can you keep something this good to yourself, right? It's good news. Well, good morning and welcome to our kickoff series here at Grace Church. We're going to be talking about the gospel. And we're going to talk about being shaped by this gospel message. We're going to talk about living and loving like Jesus as a body of believers in 2017 and beyond. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this message, this good news. And we're going to see how it saves us. But we're also going to see how this good news, this gospel, ultimately is meant to shape us individually and us as a community to be a very powerful force for God in this world. So beginning today, we're going to talk about being a light in a dark world. But over the next number of weeks, we're going to talk about various aspects of the people of God that enable us to ultimately be shaped to share the message in a powerful way with the people God has in our lives and around our church in this community. Good news. It is meant to be shared. We're going to go there in just the next few minutes. We're going to begin today by talking about being a light in a very, very dark world. But before we do, I want to invite you to take a minute. Let's pray together, ask God to speak to us, and then let's go forward. Father, um, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The kindness of God leads to repentance. Thank you for your goodness and your grace that has touched our lives. We will tell the old, old story for eternity because the Lamb of God was slain for our sins. 
thank you so much for this good news, which has touched our lives. But Father, there are so many, many people, people we know, people we love, people we care about, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, who do not know this good news. And Father, even as Elisha and I shared last week, hell is real, time is short. And Jesus said, go. I just pray that you would prepare us as a community and individually to be effective in sharing this good news. Help us, I pray, with the enablement of the Holy Spirit. Uh, touch our hearts, touch our minds, touch our lives. May we leave here different than the way we walked in, I pray. In Jesus' name, and the people of God this morning said what? Amen. Amen. Good news. Good news. Good news. And so we are talking about being a light in a very, very dark world. I saw this image the other day, and I thought, how beautiful that is. Isn't that stunning? You know, um, a full moon and, and all of this moonlight, you know, songs have been written about it, and romance has happened under it. There's just something powerful about moonlight. And yet, when you really stop and think about it, <laughs> the moon is really nothing more than the reflection of sunlight, isn't it? So the moon itself simply has no source of light in and of itself. In fact, the moon is nothing more than a dusty, dirty ball of rock, right? And yet it has this glow about it, this beauty about it that captivates people and, and is so beautiful and romantic and we write songs about it. But it is only that which reflects the light of the sun. But... When the moon is full and the sky is clear and it fully reflects the light of the sun, it can light up the darkest of nights. That is exactly what Jesus Christ had in mind for this thing called the church. That we would be a light in the darkness of our world. Um, the Bible uses the word darkness as a symbol of the state of sin that is in our world, of the spiritual ignorance that is in our world, and of the consequences of the wretchedness of the unsaved. You see, it's in our world because it's in our nature. The reality of the darkness of our world is the reality of the depravity of the human heart. And so people are in darkness. Our loved ones are in darkness apart from Christ. Our neighbors are in darkness apart from Jesus Christ. Our neighbors are, our friends are, our coworkers are, our classmates are in deep moral and spiritual darkness. And in the dark, people grope around for anything that will give them pleasure, a sense of joy and meaning. And in this fumbling and stumbling in the dark, it often leads to harm, self-harm, or harm to others as we use and abuse people or things to try and find a sense of satisfaction and meaning in life. People are in the dark, and the church is meant to be a light in the darkness. Again, Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 are so clear. You are the light of the world. Actually, it's in the plural. Y'all are. 
So collectively, y'all are, as followers of Jesus, y'all are the light of the world. And then he goes on to say this, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It, it, it just can't be. Nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket. That doesn't make any sense. But they put it on a stand so it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the intent of Christ for us as a church, that we would be light in darkness, that we would be that spiritual light, that good news in a time where people are lost in sin. So the question is, that's great, Pastor Bill. I can read. We're going to be a light. That's cool. But who are we? And how are we going to do this? I mean, that's grandiose. That's awesome. But, but, but it's just us. How are we going to do this? Awesome. I'm so glad you took the time this morning to ask me that question. Because this morning, I want to ask you to join me today in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter this morning. In 1 Peter, we find some words given to us by the Apostle Peter that really help to show us that we are, by God, qualified to become this light in a very dark world. And so I want to encourage you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 9 through 12 together. Uh, these are awesome words, and Peter's saying them about us. So when I read these in just a moment, I want you to see us in what he's reading, or what he's saying. So here we go. Verse Peter, chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. So this is what he says. But you, you're not looking at me, but you, but you, but us, us, you are a chosen race. Really? Yeah, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul, and I want you to keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles, that's the unsaved world, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That day of visitation is when the good news comes to them and they embrace it. Good news. Good news. And God has uniquely qualified us grace church to be a light on a hill to shine this good news this light into the lives of people all around us so i want to encourage you by what peter has to say here first of all i want you to understand concerning who you are and who we are as a people of god is that we are a very unique unique people and we get this from this word he this little phrase he uses here but you are a, what is it? You are a chosen, a chosen race. Um, you see, the reality is this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received 
mercy. You know, um, God choosing us is one of the truths that Peter loves to say over and over again in his little book. Four times he uses that little word to choose, to select, to elect. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, it says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect, chosen, select exiles. So what it's saying is God has personally chosen, selected you and us collectively. God has chosen you. God has uniquely selected you to be part of his unique family. Uh, again, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 4, it says of Jesus Christ. He says, as you come to him, Jesus who is a living stone that has been rejected by man, but in the sight of God, he was chosen and precious. So Jesus is a uniquely chosen one of God and precious. And again, in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16, he continues uh, in verse 6 by saying this, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a stone that is chosen and precious. And then we get to the verse in front of us here. You are a chosen people, a chosen race. How does that make you feel? To know that God chose you. You know, somebody has said this, you're born into the family you're born into, but if you're adopted, they chose you. And in a very real way, that's exactly what God has done with us. We were born in sin. But God in his grace has selected us, chosen us to himself to be his unique children. You know, the Apostle Paul likes this language as well. Uh, he used this same language in Ephesians chapter 1 where he says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us uh, in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You've been chosen by God. You are a unique person. We are a unique community because we have been personally selected by God. How does that make you feel? Peter thought it was important for the people of his day to understand that truth because sometimes you need to embrace that understanding that God knew you. And that he loved you. And in spite of you, still chose you. He loves you. And you know, I think it's easy for us to kind of get like, dude, I must be something special. God, God chose me. He didn't choose you. He chose me. Because he obviously knows he got something pretty special when he chose me, right? Isn't that how that works? Well, just in case you get a little big-headed about this, let me tell you why God chose you. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26 says this. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Oh, okay. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God actually chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong of the world. God chose what is uh, low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
He chose you. He elected, he selected you before the foundation of the earth to be a unique, precious uh, possession of his own. And he did it. (laughs) He chose us, I think. He chose me. I know he chose me because the only way that anything good ever comes out of this life is ultimately to the glory of God. I know me too well. And, And so he chooses us like that. And in so choosing us, we are a chosen, what's the word he uses? We are a chosen race. Now, this is hard to grasp. And when I first started considering this thought, I thought, no, this, is, this can't be true. But it is true. So please listen. You see, when God chose us and selected us, what he was doing is he was actually creating a new humanity. He was creating an absolutely new being. So when he uses this language to be a chosen race, somebody put it this way. The term pictures Christians as people united by our common heritage through the new birth. And because of new birth, we are a new race that transcends all our natural distinctions of ancestry, language, and culture. We're a completely, uniquely new people. This is what God had in mind. He personally selected, I think, the worst, the lowest, and the unwisest of all, me, I'm not talking about you, to ultimately create a new humanity that actually resides on earth. And we're going to talk more in just a moment about the purpose behind all of this. But in Christ, we are the children of God, a completely new being a new race of people. And when we, are, when we were born, we had a particular ethnicity, nationality, and a particular socioeconomic status. But when we have repented of our sins and ourself and embraced Jesus Christ by faith, we were born again, an entirely new being. That's exactly what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all has become new. You are a select, chosen, uniquely elected people to be a new humanity on earth. Do you see now why we're qualified to be a light in this world? It's because we're no longer who we used to be. We have been uniquely yanked out of this world, placed in Christ. And we are a new people, a new race, a new being on the face of this earth. And as a new creature, and as a new being, we have different thinking than the rest of the world around us has. Notice what he goes on to say. He goes on to say this. You are a chosen race. You are an elect, select uniquely new humanity. You see, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy in Jesus Christ. And so now we think differently. He says this, I urge you as what? And what? You mean it's not all about here now? What? You mean it's, it's not all about my 401k and, 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 and getting my nest egg and, and, and living for the best retirement I could have? You, you mean it's not about the, emo, the moment? It's not about 
here and now? No. No, you see, this world's not our home. We are exiles. We are sojourners. This is the thinking that we are to have as we now live as this new people group in this world. We're no longer part of the world like we were. We no longer think like the world thinks. We think radically different. I like uh, thinking of it like this. We think about everything differently. We think about money and possessions. We think about morals and passions. We think about meaning and purpose different than everybody else around us. Because we are not permanent residents, we are temporary residents here on this earth. I know a little bit about temporary residency status. Uh, a few years back, my family and I moved to Toronto. And uh, when we lived in Canada, we became landed immigrants. That sound, that, that term didn't sit terribly well with me. I'm an immigrant. No, I'm an American. Well, in Canada, I was an immigrant. And so I lived in Canada, I worked in Canada, I paid taxes in Canada, but I didn't have the ability to vote in Canada or to take advantage of some of the other blessings that go with the nation. So what I discovered as a temporary resident, as a, as a landed immigrant in Canada, I had all the responsibilities of being, a, of being a citizen, but not all the rights that go with that citizenship. And in the very same way, here in the United States of America, as a chosen, elect, select, new humanity pulled out of this world and placed in Jesus Christ, we have all the responsibilities of being an American. But we don't have all the rights to go with being an American. We live differently than everybody else because we are a uniquely new humanity chosen of God. So we think differently than everyone else. And this thinking uh, can often be equated to having a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview. A worldview is that which undergirds the decisions and choices you make in your life. And as the children of God and as, as God's unique people on this earth, we are meant to think and live biblically. And so that means that we need to be in the, in the Bible. Yeah, you can't think biblically unless you're in the Bible. That, does that make sense? Okay, so it, the only way to have a biblical worldview is to have the Bible coursing through your heart and your mind. That gives you the ability to use wisdom in every decision you have that faces you. And we will make different choices than the people around us if we are biblically informed. Along those lines, I want to encourage you. If you are not presently in the Word regularly, you will not have a biblical worldview. And so we are doing this thing called the one-year Bible. And if you're not presently doing it with us, I want to encourage you to jump on the train, the bandwagon, and, and join us in this. You know, there's a big bandwagon this morning for those people who want to be a part of the one-year Bible reading. And there's a big band, uh, bandwagon this morning for those who wish to be New England Patriot fans. So whichever one you want to jump on, that's cool. I just had to sneak that in there. But really, we cannot think biblically unless we are taking the Bible into our lives. I also want to take this moment just to encourage you to become a part of the Gospel Project. On Sunday evenings opposite the Iwana Hour, 
uh, there's a group of people gathering around the Word of God and walking through all of the Scripture over a period of time, gaining biblical insight and theological understanding. You cannot think biblically if you don't have the Bible coursing through your heart and through your mind. We are meant to be different. We are sojourners. We are people who are living in a refugee camp in America because we're waiting to go home. And this world's not our home. We're meant to live like that. We're meant to live like that. So not only do we think differently, but we also choose to live a little differently. Now I'm going to push beyond a video here. And uh, it goes on to say this, that um, I want you to abstain from passions of the flesh which war against your soul. So we think differently. We are those people who are sojourners in exiles. We know that we're nothing more than temporary residents. Um, we think differently about money and possessions and morals and passions and meaning and purpose. And thus we are those who abstain from the passions of the flesh that war against our soul. Why? Why don't we just give in? Why don't we just live it up like everyone else? Why don't we go bar hopping? Why don't we get drunk? Why don't we smoke weed? Why don't we have a little non-covenantal sex? Why don't we freely view porn with no conscience? Why don't we do whatever we want whenever we want? Why does this world, why is it not the playground for our passions, but rather the battleground for our temptations? Why does it have to be like that? Because you don't own you. You are a people for his possession. And because we are the exclusive property of the one who loved us and gave his son for us, we now choose to live radically different. Not just by how we think, but also by how uh, we live out our lives. Um, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So we are now a people for his own possession, living our lives because we exclusively belong to God. He owns us. He doubly owns us. He created us, and he has recreated us in Jesus Christ. You see, we are meant to be a light in the world, and he has uniquely qualified you to be that. Because you are a unique person. You have been personally selected by God. And you have been created as a new humanity who thinks differently and who lives differently than your unsaved neighbors around you do. We were made for this. So, not only are we a unique people, but indeed, we have what I would call a unique purpose. And Peter now touches upon this idea as he continues to play out these, these unique phrases. But you are a chosen race, and you are a royal priesthood. Not a royal pain, but a royal priesthood. <clears throat> now, Peter does something a little unique here. 
he actually takes two words or, or phrases and he brings them together, but they were never meant to be brought together, at least in the Old Testament times. You see, in the Old Testament, there was this thing called royalty and there was this thing called the priesthood. And they had different functions in the uh, Jewish uh, economy uh, in the way that God set up his nation. And so the royalty were ministers before God. It was a theocracy. In other words, God was their leader. The royalty were ministers before God overseeing the affairs and the administration of the nation. The priests, on the other hand, a completely separate group of people, were ministers before God who oversaw Yahweh worship at the temple by helping people deal with their sins before God and finding forgiveness through the offering of a sacrifice. So these two stations or roles in Old Testament Israel were completely separate from one another. In fact, there is a time where a king actually stepped into the priest's office and God judged him for that. So they were uniquely different. And yet now he says, wait a minute, you are a royal priesthood. He is bringing together those two separate offices and ascribing it to us. Because in Jesus, those two separate roles were united. He is the Davidic king. And he is the priest after the order of Melchizedek who offered the sacrifice of himself for our sins. And so in Jesus Christ, the kingly role and the priestly role have been united and we are in him, so they are united in us today. Grace Church, you are his royal priesthood on earth. You are his sovereign servants administering and ministering on behalf of Jesus, our King, by serving the needs of others in finding the forgiveness of their sins in Him, our great High Priest. You are a chosen race, uniquely selected as a new humanity on earth. And you have been empowered to be His sovereign servants here on earth. We have been empowered by God to be what he wants us to be. And so as we consider our role of serving others and helping them to find the forgiveness of their sins, first of all, as Jesus' sovereign servants, we minister to others on behalf of Jesus with our lips so they can find the forgiveness of their sins. Notice, you are a royal priesthood in order that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is a purpose construction. This is why we have been captured up as a chosen race, why we are a royal priesthood. It is so that we may proclaim. It means to give witness, a clear report, to advertise his excellencies. God's perfections, his breathtaking qualities of character and marvelous, miraculous works. Practically, practically, we should be able to share with others how God has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his dear son. We need to be able to share our story. What does it look like? 
does it look like? Well, it looks like this. You were dead. In trespasses and sins. In which you once walked following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air just like everybody else. The spirit that is now at work in those sons of disobedience, the laws. Among once you all lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And you were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of humanity. We need to have in our repertoire, in our, in our thinking, and in our lives, this demarcation between what was and what is. Between who I was and who Christ has made me to become. Between living in the dark and finding the light. Everyone should have a moment in their lives where they recognize, I'm different than everyone else. I think differently than everyone else. I desire differently than everyone else. And that's the work of God in me. There needs to be that in our lives. And so it says this, that's our past. This is where we live. This is what we did. But God, but God, being rich in mercy. Do you know what this is? This is proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But God, who was rich in mercy, I don't deserve it. Because of his great love with which he has loved you, I don't deserve your love, oh God. Who am I? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, the unmerited favor of God, you have been saved. There's our testimony. One way or another, we all modify these, these words in Ephesians chapter 2, and they fit us one way or the other. Because you had to have come out of the dark to get into the light. Nobody's born in the light. Now, you may have grew up in church. You may have had Jesus talk all around you all your days, but there still needs to be a point of demarcation in your life where you say, I'm not going to go the way of the darkness. I'm going to go the way of the light. I choose Jesus. There must be that point. And we must be able to articulate it. Nobody gets saved by your life. They get saved by hearing the word of God and, and uniting it with our story. And it, and it gets exciting when I can share my testimony because God rescued me. And when I can wed all that together with Scripture, I have a tool, a personalized tool, to be able to express His excellencies of how He rescued me. And people need to hear that from us. If you can't express it with a testimony, there's a problem in your life. It needs to be true of you if you're truly His, one way or the other. So we are those who express with our lips what he has done for us. But we are also, as his sovereign servants, we minister on behalf of Jesus Christ with our lives so that they can find the forgiveness of their sins. He goes on to say this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Conduct means your manner of life. Gentiles means this lost, unsaved world. Keep it honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When the word comes to them, they'll say, I, I want that. I want this. So look, at it's not just what we don't do. It's not just that we abstain from the, passion, the passions of the flesh, which wage war against our soul. By all means, there are things that we should not do. 
there are things that are wrong for a child of God. But it's not just not what we don't do. It is what we do do. We are those who do good deeds. And so our whole lives are wrapped up in this beautiful thing of being a, a new creation, a uniquely new people who are his sovereign servants on earth with lip and life sharing the good news of how he rescued me. You see, we have been uniquely qualified by God to be a light in this world. I just want to end by talking a little bit about our lives and the power of our lives to set up the sharing of the message. Very few people are ready to hear you just spout off praises to Jesus. But if they can see something in your life that's winsome, something in your life that's very powerful, they'll be willing to listen. Doing good is good. Amen? <laughs> the, the word good there has the idea that something that's acceptable to all. I mean, we know good when we see it. And so we should be doing good. In fact, if you're doing the one-year Bible reading tomorrow, uh, I'm doing the, devo uh, the devotions this week. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the power of gift, a gift, a gift of kindness, as we look at Jacob and Esau and a rift in a family, how it was healed by the giving of gifts. And so I want to encourage you to do good. But I also want to encourage you that the most powerful thing that will ever speak to anybody in your life about the reality of Jesus is your ability to suffer well and your, your ability to submit to authority. Those are two things that our culture knows nothing about. They don't know how to suffer well. We live in a world today that has less resources to cope with suffering than ever before. And we live in a world that knows nothing of submission. Everybody wants their rights. And yet, according to Peter, those two things will set your life up to be a platform for the light of life to be given. Notice with me, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, as he talks about suffering. Blessed, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And all God's people said, awesome, wonderful. God's got your welfare pretty well sewn up. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. Amen? So he's got you. He chose you. He's got you. But... While your eternal welfare is all set up, your temporal welfare he's going to use to position the gospel. Though for now, though for now, a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing of the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, that you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see what he's saying? We've got a great hope. We've got a secure future. We have a great inheritance already laid up for us in Christ. Now, now we're going to give you some suffering. In the midst of the suffering, what I want you to do is I want you to understand that it's, it's a valuable gift. 
Here you go. Choose. A terrible ordeal? A broken relationship? A health crisis? Or gold? Which one do you want? Well, you know, Pastor Bill, I really need some gold to round up my portfolio. I, I, I think I'll take gold. Yeah, let me tell you about gold. Um, yeah, it's worthless, quite frankly. Uh, the streets of heaven are made of gold. If you want gold, I'll reach down and give you a little bit of dust and throw it to you, okay? So gold in the eternal state is nothing. Here it's everything. But here in the economy of God, suffering is everything. Suffering is how we prove the reality of who we are in Christ. Because we have the resources and the tools to cope with suffering, unlike the world. And so we are going to go through suffering and hardship and difficult times. And God's going to put us there because there's something bigger than our comfort here. And that's his glory. And that's the realization that more people need to praise his name. And he wants to use us to position the gospel in their lives. So one of the key indicators that's going to enable us to be a light in the dark communities, how well do we suffer? But the second thing is also, how well do we submit? Notice chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 13. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 13. He said this, I want you to be subject for the Lord's sake to how many human institutions? Every. What? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Notice, it's for the Lord's sake. To every human institution, whether it be to the emperor, who at that time was Nero, who thought it was cool to light his garden at night with burning Christians as supreme, or to governors as they are sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So submission is another huge component of this thing of being part of this light in this world. Our world doesn't know how to suffer. We do. Our world does not know how to submit. We do. In fact, he goes on to say this, for this is the will of God. Notice that, verse 15. God, what's your will? Okay, here you go. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. How do you do that? By submitting. By submitting. By placing yourself under the authority of others, even if it may not be comfortable, even if you may not like it. He actually goes on to say that um, in verse 18. Servants, this is slaves in that culture of that day. Slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect. And not only to the good and the gentle, but to the unjust. What? Now, we don't have to do that today. But in that day, the gospel was more important than their comfort was. We need to understand that God's plan for our lives is not our plan for our lives. He has a radically different idea of what it means to honor him. It is not just having a better life. It is not just having a, a more tomorrow than I had today and being a nicer, kinder person. It's being able to suffer and to submit well. This is what makes us a light in a culture that is dying. He goes on to say this, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, four commands. Just submission, 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 submission. Chapter three, ladies, wives, Be subject to your own husbands. What? Yeah. Why? Because submission shows the reality of God in your life. Our world rebels. Our world says, no, I'm not going to put up with it anymore. Our world says, I'm going to do what I want. Child of God says, no, no, I don't live like that anymore. I don't think like that anymore. Be subject to them. Even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. See, the gospel is more important than our comfort. 
Their salvation is more important than your freedom. He goes on to say this, husbands, here we go, guys, it's our turn. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor for the woman. He goes on to say this, do not repay evil, this is not part of the wives thing, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for those who are called uh, that you may obtain a blessing. Why? Here we go. Chapter 3 and verse 15. In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense or to give a reason to anyone who asks of you for the reason of the hope that is in you. And you are to do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. You are a chosen race, Grace Church. You are a wonderful, royal priesthood. We are the light of the world in this part of the world. We're going to start to tackle what this looks like in the weeks to come. We're going to start pushing down the radical changes the gospel makes in our lives. And if we will embrace it and run with it and live it, we will discover that all of a sudden we are a city set on a hill that's ablaze. And people are wondering, what's going on over there? What is all that light that's coming from there? And those whom God is at work in will be drawn and they will find life. Let's pray. Father, as we stand on the cusp of 2017, we have no guarantees that we will see the end of this year. So time is short. Jesus did say go. And I just pray that as we make our way through this series over the next number of weeks, that you will do a radical transformation in our hearts and our lives because the people in our community, our loved ones apart from Jesus, our neighbors apart from Christ, need you. And we are the ones who are close enough to reach them. And I pray that you would help us to reach out in love. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.